Before we took a break for uh, Advent and then Christmas, uh, we were in a series uh, that we called Beginnings. It was a series where we're looking at the first chapters of Genesis, and we hope to, to get all the way up to Genesis chapter 11 by the time the series is done. But up to this point, all we've been doing is focusing on Genesis 1 and 2, all right? Genesis 1 and 2. And we're going to pick that up again this morning. And I want to kind of just remind you of some of what we've covered. We said that the main point of Genesis 1 and 2 is, is to teach us who God is, what this world is like, and, and who we are. And we were talking about that third thing of who we are, and, and we said that we were created created in God's image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so we said, it's an amazing thing that we have been created in God's image in a way that nothing else in all of creation was created in God's image. And we said it meant a number of things, four things. The first thing we said, it meant that a person, every person has great value. Every person has great value. Each one of us and every person we meet has been created in the image of God. And we said, every person has great purpose. To, to rule and to subdue and to develop and to grow the earth. We said we had great purpose. And then we talked about that God rested, and so we are created to rest. And then in the last sermon before we broke for Advent, we talked about that we're created to live in relationships, okay? We are created to live in relationships because God is a relationship. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because God is a community. He created us to live in those relationships, to live in that community. And we talked about the first of those relationships. We said that we were created for a relationship with God and about how God loves us, and we are called to obey and trust and worship him, okay? And, and so we said, you know, that's how God created us, in that relationship, for that relationship with him. And this week, we're going to look at the second part of this, and it's that we're created for a relationship with creation. We're created for a relationship with creation. And I'm just going to tell you, I was basically going to skip this until about Tuesday of this week. I was just going to say, you know, we've talked about it enough. We don't need to go over this. Let's go on to create it for a relationship with each other. But the more I got into this and the more I studied it, I was just having so much fun, and, and I wanted to share some of that with you. So we're going to talk about this. And, and, and I think, it, it, I hope it's really interesting. It's been really interesting to me to kind of learn a lot this week about this. In Genesis 1 and 2, there are two images. There are two images of our relationship with creation, okay? Let me tell you about the first one. We've touched on it already, and so I'm just going to mention this one briefly. But, but in one sense, in Genesis 1 and 2, one way to look at it is that creation is God's kingdom, and we are his representatives. We are his sub-rulers. Uh, again, Genesis 1:28. God blessed them, created us in his image, and then said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, and then subdue it. Rule over the fish in the seas and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And, and so we said, you know what? One way to look at our relationship to this world is that we are princes and princesses, governors. We are people who are in God's presence to reflect God's grace and to nurture and to develop. And when we talk about ruling the earth, it's not abusing at all, but it's developing and growing and blessing. And so we talked about that. That's one image. Now, it's the second image that I want to spend time on this morning, okay? It's the second image that we find in Genesis 1 and 2 that I want to spend time on this morning. And, and this is really interesting. And, uh, well, what it is is, well, here's the first one. Sorry, I didn't move the slide over. See, on mine it shows up, but it doesn't. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one is creation is God's temple, and we are his priests. 
Genesis 1 and 2 teaches us that when God created, what he was creating is a temple, a place for God to live. A temple is God's palace. A temple is God's house. And when God created in Genesis 1 and 2, what God created was a temple. All of this creation is God's holy place. It is God's temple, and it's filled with his glory, and we are called to be priests. Now, I say that, and if your reaction is the same as mine, your reaction is, time out. I don't read anything. I mean, I've heard this for years, and I've I've heard it, but I've always just kind of dismissed it because I don't read anything in Genesis 1 and 2. Did anybody hear anything about a priest? Anything hear anybody about a temple? No, we've read through this. You don't read any of it directly, okay? You don't read any of it, but this is one of those cases where we don't understand what the first hearers would have heard, where there are some just amazing things, and, and I'll try to point them out to you today, but just some amazing things that that's exactly what they would have heard. They would have understood that what, what God is, Moses is talking about is saying God is creating a temple and God is taking up residence in his temple and his glory is filling the earth. We don't hear it's that, but it's there. So I, I want to think about that uh, with you this morning, and I basically want to ask two questions. First of all, wh- where is this idea in Genesis 1 and 2? I could ask you to trust me, but it's really fun to see where this idea is and to see how it develops. And I'm not going to be able to cover all of it, but, but I'll try to cover a- enough of it so that you do indeed trust me that this idea is there. And then we're going to finish up by saying, all right, well, what difference does it make? So this is a temple of God. So Genesis 1 tells us that God is creating a temple. We are priests. What does it make a difference for me when I go to work tomorrow? What difference does it make in my family? What difference does it make if indeed all of creation is pictured as God's temple. So let's start with that first question. And, and, and where is this idea in Genesis 1 and 2? And I want to start just by saying, uh, thinking about creation as God's temple. I want to point to three things. Three things that, that teach us that, that what really is going on here is that, is that God is creating a temple. Things we don't notice, but that the first hearers of this, the, the people to whom Moses was speaking, would have understood this. First piece of evidence is this. All right. God rests on the seventh day. Oh, well, now that's clear, right? Sure, it's a temple, right? No, look at this, Genesis 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. All right, God rests on the seventh day. What does that have to do with the temple? The fact of the matter is, here's, here's what they would have understood immediately upon hearing this. Where do God's rest? God's only rest in temples. God's rest in temples. That's where God do their, God's do their resting. That's where God's do their living. And so when the people of Israel first heard this, that God rested on the seventh day, they would have gone, I get it, it's a temple. It is a temple, and now God is sitting down in his temple. It was that way. We said that the, the people of Israel did this coming out of Egypt, right? Egyptian and Babylonian gods, when they rested, they rested in their temples, and, and, and what would happen is the gods would go out and they'd drive away the chaos. That was how it went. They'd drive away the enemies. They'd drive away the chaos. And when the enemies were defeated, they would come back and they would rest in their temple. That story is told over and over and over again in Egypt. So when the people of Israel hear, when the people of Israel hear that God is resting on the seventh day, they'd say, he, 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 he built a temple. He he built a temple, and now he's taking up residence. He's pushed away the chaos, right? He's pushed back all that's wrong, and now God is taking up residence, and and he's resting in his temple. The the Old Testament carries this idea through. Look at Isaiah 66, verse 1, and this is the New Living Translation, just to, to make that clear. But it says this, This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, 
Earth is my footstool, right? We got, for, for a God, the, 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 the temple is the palace. So you kind of get God, king stuff going together. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Can you build me a temple as good as that, right? The whole earth is God's temple. And saying, you know what, you want to build a temple? You can only do a little one. God is so great that the entire creation, all of the universe, all of the stars, this is all part of his temple, all part of honoring him, all part of worshiping him, all part of where he rests. Can you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? Temple is resting place. We don't get it. We don't understand that. But that's exactly what they thought. And, and, and one of the things that this means and, and, and I'm not 100% sure how this plays out, but I know it's important, okay? But one of the things this means is that for the Hebrew people, for the people who first read Genesis 1 and 2, the seventh day was the ultimate day. It was the focus of creation. When they got to the seventh day, that's when they would have been jumping up and down. That's when they would have been cheering. That's when they would have been saying, you go, God, you Go, God. You see, here's how I have always looked at Genesis 1, those days of creation, okay? Kind of, if you take an emotional thing here, right? Our view, I'll just, my view, maybe it's yours, but I always got, you know, you go up day one, day two, three, four, and you get to day six, right? And, and on day six, that's when God creates humans, and that's the ultimate. That's the crown of creation. And then on day seven, God, you know, steps back, and he takes a rest, and he sits down and watches some NFL football or something. But, but what have, you know, six is, is, is the end of everything. That's the high point. And then day seven, I mean, it's not bad, but nothing happens. On day seven, nothing really happens. That's not how a Hebrew person would have read this. What they would have seen is the first six days would have been the same. But what they would have seen is day seven goes up to ten. <laughs> Day seven just takes off. And, and like I say, that's when they would have been cheering because that was the main day because that was when God rests in his temple. You know, I mean, that's when God would come into this place and they would have been like, oh, this whole earth is just filled with God's glory. God is now taking up residence. God is now here. God is sitting in this place. God is with us. And they would have been like, awesome. And, and, and I think that changes somewhat how we look at Sabbath, how we look at rest, how we look at worship. I mean, it is a celebration. What it was, was a celebration. A, a celebration that, that the forces of chaos have been pushed back. And there's still a lot of chaos in our world. But what you do when you come together to that seventh day, is you say, God, we know that in you there is rest. We know that in you there is stability. And, and, and so instead of seven being kind of a drop-off, I want to try to think in, in the future that seven and the seventh day is, is the ultimate. That's what it was all about. Everything else was preparing for that moment, okay? It wasn't everything else preparing for the, the human beings being created on day six. It was everything being created and waiting for the moment when God would rest, when God would take up residence on day seven. We'll come back to that, all right? But the seventh day is the ultimate day, the focus of creation. And, and again, it has something to say about rest. Because rest isn't just stopping. It's enjoying. It's putting to use. Again, if you think about a, a king who goes out and conquers the enemies, pushes chaos back, defeats the enemies, and comes back, it's not like the entire nation, the entire, the entire country, kingdom now says, oh, we don't have to do anything. No, now we get to do what we were created to do. Now we get to enjoy it. Now we get to, to put it to use because we don't have to fight off that chaos. God has taken care of that, and now we get to celebrate. We get to enjoy. And, 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 and it's a much more active thing, I think, than many of us have thought about Sabbath. 
John Walton is a guy who has been hugely helpful for me in this sermon. He's written four or five books on Genesis 1 and 2, okay? And, and if you want some titles, I can give them to you. But they're just really interesting, fascinating books. But in one of his books, one of his commentaries, he talks about the days of creation. And, and he helps us think about it by imagining a guy by the name of Tom building a computer. Tom building a computer. So here's his translation of Genesis 1-1 about Tom building a computer. In the beginning, Tom built himself a computer. Now this computer was just scattered pieces all over the workbench, still in boxes and manufacturers, wrappers. Tohu wavohu, if you remember back. It's, it's, it's all there. Genesis 1 isn't, is, God, the Bible teaches God created out of nothing. But Genesis 1 starts with stuff. So Tom starts, there's all this stuff and it's scattered all over. It was still in boxes and manufacturers, and darkness was over the face of the monitor. And he goes day by day, and it's just a fascinating thing. If you want to see it, talk to me about it, okay? But this is what he says about the seventh day. So on the seventh day, Tom finished setting up his computer, and he turned it on, and it worked perfectly. So Tom turned it off and went away. No, so Tom sat down and enjoyed it on the seventh day. That's what's going on on the seventh day. God is coming into his creation and enjoying it. All the work was done, and now God was enjoying it. The, the, the thing was ready to go. Everything was working according to its purposes. And now God comes in and plays and enjoys and works, and he calls us to do the same. Interesting. I don't know all of what that means for Sabbath, but it, interesting thoughts, right, to start to think about, okay, what does this tell us about what we do and what it means to rest? And, and how does that work? And again, chaos has come back in, so... Anyway, so that's just that, but that whole idea, I mean, God rests on the seventh day, that would have said clearly to the people of Israel, God built a temple, because that's where God rests. He built himself a house, and this whole world is God's house. This whole universe is God's house. All right, second, seven sevens and more sevens. In, again, in, in, in Egypt, in Babylon, in Ugarit, and in, in Samaria, and all these places around Israel, the number seven was hugely significant in temples. Rooms, chambers, all sorts of things came in sevens, all right? It was also important in days. I'll just talk about it that way. But in Egyptian, Babylonian, Ugaritic, Samaritan, uh, and, and Sumerian gods, all of these gods took up residence in their temples on the seventh day. Okay, when they would dedicate a temple in Egypt, and again, the people of God had been in Egypt for 400 years. When they would dedicate a temple in Egypt, they would have six days of bringing stuff into the temple, uh, uh, of giving it a function. And then what would happen is on the seventh day, that was when they would bring in the God, the idol, representing the God again. They didn't really believe that was the God. But that would be when the seventh day is when they would bring the God in. And then the temple would be filled with that God's glory. And, and, and so again, seven days, we got the people of Israel and, and, and doing this. And so God took up residence on the seventh day. We think of seven days and we say, oh, it was a week. That's not what they would have thought of. They would have thought of it was a temple dedication ceremony. Because on the seventh day, God comes into this and God takes up residence. And again, that's where the people would cheer, right? Think about it. Everything is now ready. And the one who cares for us and loves us and created us, he is now coming in and his glory is filling the earth. And it would have been just this amazing, awesome celebration. It says something about worship, doesn't it? An amazing, awesome celebration that our God sits on his throne. Our God saves, as we sang earlier. And again, this carries through. Uh, jumping ahead, Solomon's temple. Anybody want to take, yeah, take a guess? How long, how many years it took to build? Any guesses? Seven. Anybody want to guess how long it uh, took to dedicate? 
seven days. Sevens, the seventh day, we think, oh, it's the end of the week. They would have said, no, it's the day of dedication. It is the day of celebration. Everything else has been building towards this day. So seven sevens and more sevens. And, And then the structure. The structure of the temple is similar to the structure of creation, okay? Um, and, and, and again, here's a whole bunch of parallels. And, 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 and I, I don't know if we get it, but, but this would have been clear to them, okay? We, we don't see it, but it's there. This is a picture of the tabernacle. It's actually not the tabernacle, but a, rec- a recreation of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the traveling temple, okay? When the people of Israel with, were with Moses in the desert for those 40 years, and they were traveling around. They worshiped God at the tabernacle. And the setup of the tabernacle was very similar to the setup of the temple, okay? They were basically the same, all right? And, and, and so let me kind of just show you, and, and before I go on to kind of a different structure picture of this, but that thing right there that the arrow came onto, that's a, a, a bronze bowl, and it would be filled with water, okay? It had two purposes. One is they would wash and ritually clean themselves. But the other is it was a representation of the sea, of the, again, chaos. For the Hebrew people, the sea was always chaos. The sea was always threat. The sea was always danger. Think about it, Revelation 21. It says there will be no more sea, right? No more threat, no more chaos, no more danger. All right, so that's, that's where that is. This will just give you a little orientation now as we look at this. This is the tabernacle or the temple, okay? And this is how it's built. That thing in front, you saw that, that round lava washer, uh, representing the sea, there were pillars of the temple. Here, I'll show you. You see the, the pillars that are there. And, and then the rest of this, um, the rest of this was all inside there. And so the two rooms in it, there was the holy place and then the most holy place. Um, the priests could go into the holy place and minister to God in that. There was a table of bread. There was the incense altar and there were lights, okay? And, and then there was a veil, and only the high priest could go beyond that into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and there were cherubim, okay, on that. We'll come back to those cherubim at the very end, okay? But this is the structure of it. Now, let me show you um, one way to look at creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, okay? You have the sea. What's the first thing God does? Is He, he pushes away the sea, right? The sea is pushed away. And, and what that represents is, again, the chaos. The, the, the primordial ooze is pushed back. And, and so in the temple... In the temple, you get a picture of the same thing, that the sea is on the outside. And, and God's presence is peace. God's presence is order. Now, if you look at this and you say, Ron, that's nuts. Ain't nobody who sees this who's going to say, oh, yes, that represents chaos, and that's outside the temple. Uh, let, let, me, let me just show you something, okay? Um, last spring, when we were in Egypt, we went to, to, to Luxor. So this is Luxor, Egypt, not Vegas, okay? Um, so this is a temple that was there that we went and visited, okay? Now, I don't know if you can see it very clearly, but if you notice on the left side, this will highlight it a little bit, the, 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 the building sags, right? Can you see the line of blocks? It, it sags. This is an old black and white from a different angle. And you can see, right, the building sags. When I first saw that, when I first saw that, I thought, well, you know, it's been 2,000 years, <laughs> 2,500 years. The building can sag a little bit in that amount of time. I mean, that's not so shocking. But here's what was interesting. This is how it was built, This temple was built with these wavy walls on the outside. This temple was built, and you know why? Because chaos. Chaos, it's it's chaos on the outside, but when you come into God's presence, it's peace. And, And so this temple, by the way it's designed, 
was to say that our God gives peace. Our God, when you come into God's presence, you leave the chaos away, and God drives away and protects us from that chaos. And, and so when you have this, this water here, I don't think it's a stretch at all. I think it's so legitimate to say this is what they would have seen. They would have recognized that they have walked through the chaos to come into God's presence. And, and we can just go right up the, the list. The pillars of the earth, okay? I, I mean, the pillars of the temple that are there, the pillars of the earth. Genesis 1 talks about God creating on those things. Um, you got the, the, the table of bread, which was there in the temple to remind everybody that, that God provided. And what does God do? He gives food for plants. Plants for food, rather, right? I, I mean, clouds in the altar of incense. You can go right up it. The next one's really interesting, okay? I, again, this is why if you start to see these things, they're all over the place. And I don't read my Hebrew well enough, so I need help with it. But that's okay if you do. So lights and lights. Okay. God says at the very beginning, let there be light. Right? Genesis 1 to 3, I think it is. But let there be light. The word that, that Moses uses there for light, the word that's in the Hebrew Bible for light is a, an unusual word, and, and it's used 15 times in the book of Genesis. Five times in Genesis 1. Okay? That's the word. The other ten times, you know what it always refers to? The lampstand. It's the only other time in the whole Pentateuch, in the whole first five books of the Bible, that it, that it, that it um, refers to anything that it's used. And it always refers to this. And again, they would have put that together. This is God who created light, now represented in this lampstand, okay? And just a little bonus question. Anyone want to guess how many lamps there were on this golden lampstand? Seven, yeah, you're paying attention, right? I mean, again, you start to, there's all these things, and that's why I kept going through this week going, whoa, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. And again, they would have noticed these things. We don't, but they would have noticed these things. You go on, you've got the veil and the firmament. Now, think about it, think about it. Um, in the Garden of Eden, when, when things were perfect, before there was sin, that, that firmament in creation was permeable, right? You could go through it. God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He spent time with them. They were close. They could, they could walk through. Now, after sin, it becomes more permanent. And, and so in the temple, it's a veil, and, and there are those cherubim there to, to, to block it off, and so we'll come back to that, all right? But the structure of the temple, okay, is similar to the structure of creation. We have all these parallels going on. And, and so I could, there's really more. There, I, I could go on and on on this, but I'm not going to. But, but I, I just hope you can trust me to say that this creation, they, they would have understood it is a temple. Now, again, I'm not sure exactly what that means. We'll talk about that in a minute, right? Okay, that's cool, Ron, but what does it mean? But, but this whole thing was created by God to be a temple. This whole thing was created by God to be his house where he would dwell. And we are called to be priests in that temple. We are called to be priests, all right? Now, Adam is given the job of a priest, Again, you've read Genesis 1 and 2 perhaps, and you say, I don't read any language of priest there. Let me show you, okay? Adam is told to work and take care of the Garden of Eden in 2.15. Here it is. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Okay, work and take care. Abad Shamar, Abad Shamir, Abad Shamir. Okay, those are the two words. Those work it and take care of it. Okay, that's what Adam is told to do. Now, what we need to understand is these words are used in a different ways, but when they come together, they become kind of a technical term. They meant something. 
let me give you an example of, of how that works in our situation. Let's imagine, and it probably won't work today because of the snow and the driving conditions, but imagine it's the middle of the summer, and, uh, and, and you drive out of here after church this morning, and you, let's say you go left on 68th Street, and you come over the hill, and you come to the bottom of the hill, and you notice in Creekside Park that there is a car, and on the door of the car is written, to protect and serve. What are you going to do? Hit the brakes, right? I mean, you're going you're to slow down, right? You're gonna, because you know who's in that car, right? Who? Policemen, right? When you see those terms, protect and serve, they have become a technical term. You know what it's talking about. When you talk about somebody who protects and serves, you're talking about the police. In the Old Testament, when you talked about somebody who worked and cared for, most of the time you were talking about a priest, Look at Numbers 3. Again, we're talking Genesis to the people of Israel before they go into the land. Moses to the, to the people of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, bring the ti- tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron the priest to assist him. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to take care of all the furnishings of the tent of the meeting. These are the priests. What's their job? Work and take care of work and take care of. And it's the same Hebrew words, okay? I don't know about you, but I think that's just really cool to think about what, what God is doing is saying, Adam, you are a priest. Eve, you are a priestess in my, in my temple here. And, and you are called and invited to serve me. Adam is given the job of a priest. And, and again, they would, again, just like, you know, I mean, if, if somebody comes and, and is from another, lang- another place, protect and serve isn't going to mean anything to them. But to all of you, you knew exactly what it was. Work and care for would have meant something in the same way, a priest. Okay, so hopefully that's enough to kind of get you to say, all right, I, th- there's something in this, uh, right? God is creating this temple. Let's go to the second question, all right? What difference does it make? What difference does it make? And I will just tell you, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just beginning to scratch the surface on this. Because we see at least something related to kingdoms, I think it's easier for us to think in those terms. But most of us don't spend much time in temples. We don't build our churches as temples. I'm not a priest. We don't do those kind of things. We don't talk that kind of way. And so I think this is harder for us to get a hold of. There are 10 things I'd like to say, but that would take too long. So I'm going to say four, okay? So if you feel like four is too many, it would have been 10 if I had my way. So... Four things it makes if this is God's temple and we are priests. First thing to think about is this, that creation is first of all for God, not for us. And I think that makes a difference in how I look at my world. Creation is first of all for God and not for us. Too often we say that creation is for us. And again, I'll take that personally. Too often I say, maybe you don't. But I have that view again of, of, of Genesis 1. It was those six days of saying, yep, it was creating humans and then God rested. And so this is the important thing. And so we are the crown of creation. And so creation is really there for us. If it's a temple, it's not. If it's a temple, it's there for God. And it keeps God at the absolute center of everything. Now, we get to enjoy it, okay? God gives this world to us. He invites us to be priests and priestesses to enjoy this world. But what we have to remember is that we are house-sitting in the house of God. And, and that, that's true that Mars, Venus, the, the Rocky Mountains, Buck Creek, everything is the house of God, all right? This is all God's temple, and we are house-sitting. I don't know if you've ever done that. Tammy and I have on a couple of occasions, more often before we had kids than after. But once I'm out in California, 
there was a couple from the church we were attending out there, and they had a pool, they had a lawn, I'm pretty sure they had a dog, but, um, you know, they, they had all this stuff, and they were going to go away for a couple of weeks, so they asked Tammy and I, would you come and stay at our house? You know, can you take care of the pool, can you take care of the dog, can you take care of the lawn and all that? And, and we said, fine, and we did that, and, and it was good. Now, they wanted us to enjoy the pool. And we did. They wanted us to enjoy all their stuff. They wanted us to to enjoy that, but it was still their stuff. We didn't have the right. We didn't have the right to decide, the dog's not doing much for us. Let's let him die. Can you imagine what they would have been like when they came back, right? They would have said, "That's you didn't have the right to decide that. It wasn't your dog. Now, if if we're the crown of creation and everything's for us, then we can decide whether the dog, but if it's God's, then we've got to take it real seriously about saying we need to work to preserve. And, and I think, for me, this ups the ante on, on caring for creation. I mean, we need to be serious about taking care of creation because this is God's temple. And I don't think it answers all the questions of, of, of again, the Bible, I think, still makes clear that human beings are, are created uh, and, and are more valuable in God's eyes than, than other parts of creation. And so it doesn't answer all the environmental questions and, and so on. But I think it, it frames them in the way that we ought to frame them. You see, too often, again, the, the division on the environmental question becomes between those who say, well, the earth is, is God and, and it's Mother Nature and we need to worship it, right? And, and we say, that's crazy. But then too often, as a Christian, I end up saying, well, yeah, but the earth is just here to, for us. So we get to use it, not abuse it badly, but we get to use it for us. And we get to, what if I really understand that it's a temple that's God's? And my job is to care for the temple. My job is to, is to preserve it and to bless it and to grow it. I mean, that's what a priest did. A priest cared for all those things. A priest blessed all those things. So creation is first of all for God, not for us. And I need to think about that, okay? That's the first one I want to mention. The second one, um, creation continually points us to God. There is a holiness, not a, not a, not a godliness in, in the sense of being God, but a holiness about all of creation that points us to God. Again, the temple, the tabernacle, they were filled with reminders of who God was and what he has done. Right? When you came in, you saw the, the sea out there. You walked past that. That was chaos. The pillars that God created the earth on. You walked in, and there was that table of bread that reminded me that God created food, that God fed his people in the desert with manna, and, and then the lights and, and, and the altar of incense. And all of these things were pointing to God. If indeed this whole world is God's temple, it is just filled with those kind of reminders. It is just filled, and, and I want to challenge and encourage myself. And again, a day like today when God is painting the world, and I pray nobody gets injured in the snow, but my goodness, is it gorgeous or what? To say, this has got to point me to God. This is God's temple, and he is just making it glorious. He is just making it so beautiful. Some of you are familiar with a, a poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, and I'm not much of a poetry guy, but I like this one. It's from Aurora Lee. It goes like this, Earth's crammed with heaven. In every common bush, a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round it and pluck blackberries. Earth's crammed with heaven. In every common bush, a fire with God. Will we see it? This is his temple. Saturn is part of God's temple. Uh, uh, Mars is part of God's temple. The Rocky Mountains are part of God's temple. We're, I mean... And they're pointing us to God. They're telling us who he is. 
and what he has done. The psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God. Why? Because it's his temple. And his temple is full of pointers to who he is. And, And so creation continually points us to God. It is his temple. And the third thing, we are called to be priests in the temple of creation. Again, Adam is given that job. We are given that job. So what that means is we are called to bring God's, God's grace to this world and bring this needs of this world to God. A priest was a mediator. A priest was somebody who took care of that temple. A priest was somebody who blessed it and purified it. And a, and a priest did all of those things. Three things, just real quickly to touch on here. First of all, it was an amazing and high calling to be a priest. It was a high calling to be a priest, to be able to go into God's presence, into that holy place. Again, only the priests could do that. And in the most holy of holies, that black room there, the darkest purple one in that visual we saw earlier, only the high priest once a year. We are called to be priests. We get to come into God's presence. We, we, we get to honor him and serve him. And when we take care of things, we are honoring God. Second thing, and this is one I think that, that can be really cool when we talk about going to work on Monday. Think about this. All work can be holy work. If indeed what God created was a temple, if indeed he called you to be a priest, then whether you're cutting hair or writing computer code, whether you're building a barn or whether you're planting a field, whether you're teaching math to middle schoolers or, or, or whatever it is you're doing, what you're doing is you're working in God's temple. You know, too often we separate it. We say, well, I do, as a pastor, I do holy work, right? I do sacred work, you do secular work. Well, if this were a temple and this was only God's temple, then that would be true. But guess what? The whole earth is God's temple. All of creation is God's temple. And when you nurture it, develop it, grow it, build on it, whatever you do in it, you can do that. And it can be developing and cleaning and, and growing God's temple. If all of creation is God's temple, then all of our jobs become holy. And your work tomorrow is not just sweeping up the back room. It is cleaning God's temple. And if we could understand that, it might make those jobs that we sometimes say aren't so important, really important. And it might make some of those jobs that we think are really important, not so important. All of creation is God's temple. And whenever we work in God's temple, we bless him. And so we do that to the glory of God. Think about that, right? We so often, again, we don't do a whole lot with temples and so on, but most of us do have this sense. Uh, people will, you know, will say it to Tammy. I, 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 I always find it fascinating. People will say to her, you know, my husband, I, when he works too much, I just tell him he do. But, but how do you tell your husband he works too much? Because he works for God. You all work for God. And I don't work too much, but that's another matter. But... Right? If you're a priest, then you're working for God in your job and at your home and in your neighborhood. You are all working for God. Because the whole thing is a temple. And, and, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that we're not going to think about, but, but striving to keep ourselves pure. As priests, a large part of what they had to do was, was to keep themselves pure. Now again, nothing but the blood of Jesus does that. But having been washed in that blood, we are called. We are called to do all that we can to maintain purity. And again, we've got to take holiness seriously. If I am a priest, then I must be holy so that God can use me as best he can. All right. And then, and then one more. Um, we're called to be priests in the temple of creation. And, and here I want to wrap this up. All right. Um, 
Think about this and what it says as we get to the New Testament. All of creation, what God created at the beginning was a temple. And what that means, one of the pictures that we can use is, is that Jesus opens the way for us back into the Holy of Holies, the Garden of Eden, okay? Jesus on the cross brings us back into the Garden of Eden. Let me kind of try to develop that for you real quickly here and show that to you. Jesus opens the way for us. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were face-to-face with God. Like I say, that, that, that firmament there was in that drawing, it was permeable because God came down, they walked together, they were, they were always there with each other, okay? They were face-to-face with each other. But, and we're going to get to this in a few weeks when we talk about chapter 3 of Genesis, when there was sin, one of the things that happened is God booted Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, okay? He booted them out of that Holy of Holies. He booted them out of that place. And, 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 and notice something, if you go to Genesis 3.24, cherubim angels were guarding the entrance to the garden and they were on the east side just a little interesting thing they were on the east side of the garden guarding it so that adam and eve nobody could get back in to the garden of eden now remember i said about cherubim in the, te- in the temple cherubim in the temple cherubim and the veil keep people out of the holy of holies okay and they were on the east side the temple was set up in such a way that that would always be the east side and, and, and so there you've got the cherubim, just like in the Garden of Eden that they're protecting it, the cherubim and that veil were, were protecting the Holy of Holies so that people couldn't get, because we're sinful, because we're broken, it, we can't get back to the Garden of Eden. We can't get back. We're stuck in the chaos. We're stuck in the brokenness. But what happens? What happens when Jesus dies on the cross? Matthew 27, 50 and 51, it says, the veil of the temple is torn in two. The veil of the temple is torn in two. And so we can go into God's presence in the Holy of Holies. God's presence comes out and begins to go throughout the world. But if you think of this in the connection between creation and temple, this also means in a sense, I I mean, it means that 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 angel who's guarding the Garden of Eden is moving back and he's going to create that way now. Jesus opens up the way. We get to go back there. We will one day be restored to that place where everything was the way it was supposed to be. And, and, and so when we read what Jesus does in the temple, read the book of Hebrews, and it's all about the temple and about the day of rest. But when we read about that temple veil being torn in two, I think it's very fair for us to think back to the Garden of Eden and, and, and to that angels, those angels, those cherubim that are protecting it and keeping with their flaming swords that Jesus is saying, they're pure now. They can come back home. I don't know, again, it's just, that's so awesome to think about. In, in a world where the chaos is so much around us, to know that someday we get to go back to that garden once again. So creation is God's temple. Creation is God's temple. And in closing, let me just say, let's enjoy it and serve him well. Let's pray together. <sighs> Father, this is, uh, for many of us, a new idea. We maybe have sort of heard something about it and so on, but for many of us to think about this whole world being a temple and you taking up residence in it and your glory filling everything. And so, Lord, we just celebrate that you are God. And even though some of us have experienced a lot of chaos this week and, uh, and, and know that we're going to experience some chaos in, in the weeks and in the years ahead, help us to remember that, that in Jesus Christ, that chaos is ultimately defeated and someday, someday, it will be totally gone and there will be no more sea and no more death and no more crying. Father, give us eyes to see and hands to serve 
as priests and priestesses in your temple. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.